Amen. Can you bless him? Saints, come on. It's good to be back. You may be seated in the house of God. I heard Griselda did an amazing job. How many enjoyed her message? Woman of God, where is she at? Where is Griselda at? It's, you know what? Just always remember this. Anytime I mention somebody in service, they'll never be in the service. I was saying the same thing about Daryl because Daryl preached her first service. And I'm like, let's give it up for Daryl. Daryl was nowhere to be found. But once I go on to something else, they'll be right back here. We had a great, a great, amazing time in New Orleans, didn't we? Amen. We saw souls saved, disciples made, lives changed. And you know what's awesome is what happens in our life. It happens in the disciples' life. We saw other Christians preaching. We joined a Monday night rally, thousands of Christians worshiping, praising God. And you know that you're not alone. You know that you're not alone. So I want to encourage you, Chicago, keep going hard for God. And we've already got people saying that they're going to be coming to join with us, even for Lollapalooza. So make sure you're a part of this. One of the great testimonies is, you know, we started a Bible school by God's grace, and I got to meet some of the students that I only knew one uh, online. And one of them, named Ryan, worked at Walmart. Come on, somebody say Walmart. This is going to be good if it starts with Walmart. He won to the Lord his co-worker who was a Mormon, and he brought him to the outreach. His name is Gage, and guess what? Gage has signed up for the spring semester. Amen? So we're going to have a former Mormon in the Bible college now. It's amazing. Awesome, awesome. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse by verse, through Galatians in the second service, and we're going verse by verse through John in the first service. Please check them out as I'm recommending for them to check out this service. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, brothers and sisters, starting in, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Everybody say gently. Thank you. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. If anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. How many know that's a separate message right there? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're deceiving yourself. Now look at verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, if you remember the last time I was with you, we looked at those two highlighted parts. Brother, if you could put it up there so they can see both of them clearly. Thank you. In one part, it says, carry each other's burdens. So look at one of your neighbors. I said last time the one you like the most, but now pick the one that you like the least. Half kid, you like them all the same. But just pick a neighbor and say, hey, man, I'm here to help you carry your burden. Come on, I'm here. You're not alone. Now look at the other neighbor. Now look at the other neighbor. Don't be shy. And say, hey, you got to carry your own burden. You got to carry this thing on your own. You do this. You got this. Now, is that a contradiction? No, it's a compliment because there are things we carry together in church. There are things that we do together. And then there's things you do by yourself. But when you're by yourself, is God still with you? 
Absolutely. So you're never away from God. It's just that there are things that I can't do for you or another person can't do for you. You learn this in marriage. When you are married, you do things together. You pray together. You have uh, devotionals together. But there are things that my wife must carry to the Lord by herself. There are things I just cannot understand. Can I hear an amen from the women? My man just doesn't understand. I know I saw a book that a man wrote. He said, everything I know about women, the pages were blank. (laughs) The pages were blank. So there are some things that my wife, she just has to take to Jesus and say, I've tried. I'm on my third time, Jesus, but you understand. How many know there's a man that does understand? And he's the God man. He's the one who made you, sisters. Come on. And it's true for men as well. You know, sometimes we're complicated. Sometimes, and you might have seen this meme, or this uh, it's more of a TikTok thing, that when a guy says everything's all right, chances are everything's not all right. There's a lot of things going on behind that man's everything's all right, you know. And so sometimes for a man, he can't share it with his wife because he'll feel too vulnerable or too exposed. That man needs to take it to Jesus. Amen. We have things in our lives that we're to be there for each other with, and then there are things that you need to take care of between you and Jesus. What I would like to highlight today is verse 1, where it says, Brothers and sisters, those who are caught in sin, you who are spiritual, who those who live by the Spirit, restore them gently. And do this in a way that you're not tempted yourself because you could fall into this sin. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I take on what's called the Judas principle. Somebody say the Judas principle. Now, this doesn't mean that I consider everybody in this a situation that I'm going to name a Judas, but I just want to tell you I take a principle on called the Judas principle. What do I call the principle by whose name? Judas. And that means one out of 12 at any moment can leave you and walk out of your life. At any moment, people can do that, one out of 12. Now, once again, that doesn't mean they're a Judas. Sometimes they just need to roll up. They have their own issues. You have your issues, whatever. But I walk by this principle, and I do it as well in the church. So as the church grows, you know, we, uh, let's say we had 12 at first, and one person would leave. Man, we would all get sad. But then we would get 24 people, and I would say, oh, we're so happy. Now, look, we got 24. But then guess how many would leave next time? Two, you get it? See, with 12, one leaves. Everybody tracking with me? With 24, now how many leave? Two, okay? And then we double that, you know, or uh, get it to 36. Oh, we got 36 people now, you know, three times 12. Look at the church. It's amazing. It's growing. But then when people get upset, how many leave now? Three. You see how it works. Now, once again, I'm not trying to call names by saying this because people leave for different reasons. But I'm not just saying this for the church. I'm also saying this for your life. The more friends that you have, the more they have the potential to walk away from you at any time. Well, what I have noticed in our church is that this is for us personally, and it may be different in your life, and you got to apply it to your family, to your friends, is that people oftentimes who are in sin, who have issues, don't think they're being restored gently. So I want to ask you a couple questions about, let's say, if you were ever in sin, and it was my job to restore you, whether or not you would think I was being gentle about it, okay? So number one, if I called you a fool... Because you sinned, do you think I would be being gentle to you? Let's be honest. Most of us would say, H-E double hockey sticks, no. If I'm in sin, pastor, and you call me a fool, that's not being gentle. Somebody say back that thing up. Amen. Go to Galatians chapter 3, the same book. While he's restoring people in sin, Galatians chapter 3, you blank Galatians. What does he call them? Now, hold on. (laughs) Come on, Paul. Paul, you don't understand gentle then. You're not gently restoring your own people. Is Paul a hypocrite right here? 
Now, before I answer whether or not Paul's a hypocrite, I want to tell you another thing about the fool. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus said, you better not call anybody a fool or you're in danger of hell. How many have heard that scripture before? Well, I'll read it right here. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of what? The fire of hell. Now go to Matthew chapter 25, uh, 23, same book, same Jesus. Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. Somebody say, make it plain. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. Verse 17, would you highlight it? You blind, what? You blind fools. He doesn't just call them fools. You blankety blank. You blind fools. Okay, now hold on. Is this gentle Jesus? Is he, is he outside of gentleness now? Look at Paul. Paul said to restore them gently. And I said to you, if I called you a fool while I was restoring you, would that be gentle? And let's just be honest. According to our culture, most would say, no, that's not gentle, man. You can't call me a fool and expect that to be gentle. But why is it Paul says be gentle but then calls them fools? Jesus says don't call anybody a fool, but then he calls them a fool. You see, there's context to how this is done, isn't it? There's a context. Go back to the one in Matthew since we're here with Jesus. I'm going to show you two ways to resolve this, con- uh, what would be a conflict, just because this is important to understand. Going back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, somebody who doesn't love Jesus may try to show you this. Hey, is it wrong to call somebody a fool? And then you say, oh, yes, it is. And they go, well, Jesus called fool, so Jesus is wrong. Let me help you resolve the context. I'm going to put some meat on the bones. Now slide over to the King James. You see with that crown? That's the King James. There's actually a variant here. That's found in the King James that makes it a little bit more clear. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Notice what King James says here. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Oh, what's the first way to answer this according to the King James? If there's no cause. And now you call somebody a fool. You can be in danger of hell. That's the first explanation. And I'm one of those folks that side with the King James when there's missing information. I could be here on another discussion, but I side with it. Now, the second explanation without appealing to the King James, go back to the NIV, please. It doesn't have the phrase, without a cause. It simply says, but I tell you, whoever's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. There is no clause there. It says, without a cause. There's a clause that says, without a cause. Does everybody get that? kind of rhymes. What is the clause? It says without a cause. Now let's say you don't accept the King James. You only side with the NIV. And it says anyone who's angry shouldn't do this. But we see Jesus doing this. There must then be an answer, right? How many know there must be an answer? The answer is the context. One is saying to them, you fool, and they're doing it in such a way without redemption. They're putting them down. How many have had good parents be stern with you and they weren't doing it to hurt you, they were doing it to help you? Why are you being stupid hanging out with these people? You know better than that. How many know a parent could say that to you and be saying that in love? But there's another way a parent could be saying, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're good for nothing. And then now it's done without love. So the love centers the conversation. Now going back to Paul, since we're in Galatians, go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, whoever is in sin, do this gently. Do it gently. How are we supposed to do it? We're doing it gently. 
but he calls them foolish. Let's go to another passage in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 12. Look what else he says, to the very people he is correcting. So in other words, would Paul be setting an example that he wouldn't want you to follow? Would Paul be saying, hey, I want you guys to correct each other when you're in sin, do it in gentleness, but don't do it the way I'm doing it in this letter because this letter is only something I can do. No, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. In other words, if Paul is saying, I want you to restore each other gently, he's saying, follow my example. And part of restoring people gently may be to call out the foolishness of their behavior. What else does he say in verse 2? Mark my words, exclamation mark. Sounds like he's getting a tone with them. This is not found in the original Greek, but the translators would think that this would come with that tone because we are translating it with the way we would understand in their culture. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Notice Paul gives an ultimatum. If I ask you, is it uh, gentle to give people ultimatums? How many would think it's not gentle to give ultimatums? Do this or else. Man, that's not gentle, pastor. And you said, you fool, do this or else. We would all say, hey, you're not being gentle. But Paul did it. This is what Paul said. Don't get circumcised. They're like, I don't know. I might get circumcised. I might not. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you do? Christ is of no value to you. Make a choice. Circumcision or Christ. Now go down to verse 12. What does it say in verse 12? It says, I'll go up to verse 11. Brothers and sisters, am I still preaching circumcision? Why am I still persecuted? Remember, that was a big deal. The Jewish people wanted them to be Christians and Jews, a odd mixture. Instead of just serving the Jewish Messiah, they wanted these Christians to follow Jewish laws. Paul is saying to them, well, if I was still talking about circumcision, then why would the Jews be coming after me? They're coming after me because I'm not talking about circumcision. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So there is an offense that comes with the cross. Now look at verse 12. As for those agitators or troublemakers, I wish they would go the whole way and do what to themselves? Emasculate themselves. Hold on. Now swipe back to Galatians chapter 6. Keep that passage. Yes, swipe like that and highlight gently. Wow, Paul, we just got a whole lot of information about what you consider gently. According to Paul, what can be considered gently? Calling people foolish, saying an ultimatum, and telling them to go cut off their genitalia if they think serving God is about that. (laughs) How many just got a wake-up call to what the Bible calls gentle? See, this is how we are in our culture. And I just want to be very honest with you as a pastor. I love you enough to have you look at the scriptures. Because so often when people in our church are in sin, big sins, little sins, small offenses, big offenses, all we try to do is follow Paul's example. See, when I started off as a Christian, I had to make a decision. Whose example am I going to follow? Am I going to follow Joe Osteen and his example and be known to the world as being gentle, but being known to the Bible as a hypocrite and someone that is not telling the truth, or someone to the world that may be looked at as quote-unquote being harsh, but according to biblical definition, I'm gentle. Now, let me just help you clear your mind for a few moments on this, because it's not just here amongst ourselves, amongst other Christians. It's also the definition of love. How many have heard from the culture that we don't love them because we believe homosexuality is a sin? 
And so no matter how you say it, no matter how you demonstrate it, no matter how you go through the Bible and say, this is a sin, and they say, well, I didn't choose it. And you try to say sins you didn't choose. Maybe you have a bad temper. It comes natural. Maybe you lust, you know, after the opposite sex in a way that comes natural. You try to put yourself on their same uh, playing field. You try to say, listen, I understand you didn't choose it. It comes natural. You've been born this way, but Jesus says, be born again. This is the message of the cross. How many know they can hear you say that? You can smile at them. You can even have tears coming down your eyes because you care for them so much and they can still look at you and go, that's not love. That's not love. But why is it we stand on that ground as preachers, but within the church we look at each other and go, that's not gentle. Well, hold on. I'm here saying this for your good. Yeah, but you called me a fool. But you're acting as one. Oh, you gave me an ultimatum. But the ultimatum is there for your benefit. It's stay within your lane or drive off the cliff. I don't like that. How many know the, the lane is there to keep you off the cliff? Now, somebody said, well, you, you, just, you just go ahead and do this and just go to hell. Then. No, no, no. There's a different way to say an ultimate. There's a different way to call someone a fool if you do it from the sense of I care about you. I want to restore you. I want to see you become all that you can be. You're doing that in love. And then if you're honest with yourself, during that time you're being used to restore, if you go, listen, i got to be careful because I don't want to fall into sin either. I've sinned in similar ways. I can relate to you. How many know if you come to somebody like that, you can truly carry their burden? And now if they don't want you to, is that your fault at that point? No, I want you to see a few Proverbs and tell me what you think. Look at Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, 5 through 6. Talking about restoring people gently, especially in the church. We need to be our brother's keeper. Look at what it says here in verse 5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Do you know what I have heard over the years uh, of being a pastor is that people have said this to me over and over again from different cultures, different backgrounds, different age groups. You know what they've always said to me? At least I know what you're thinking, pastor. Thank you for that. You didn't hold anything back. Good, bad, or the ugly. I know what you think about this situation. Why? Because I live by these rules. I would rather be your friend and you say, man, that was a tough rebuke than for you to say, he just ignores me. He just pretends to be my pastor, but he only shows up on Sunday to preach and make the money and then move on his way because people do that because they don't want to mess with the sheep and get the sheep bites. But I would rather be a pastor that shows you this. And it's the same thing in your friendship. Sometimes friends will tell you, don't tell her that. Don't, no, 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 don't bring that up. I don't bring it up. And look, we get along. But you're the kind of friend. How many are going to be that kind of friend that says, I got to bring it up? I got, I got to bring it up. And if they don't like me afterwards, that's between them and me, you know, between them and God. But between me and them, I got to bring it up. Now look at the next one. Now watch this. It's not a trick, but if I was to ask you this beforehand, just like as I asked you before, could I gently restore you calling you a fool, making ultimatums, and saying to cut things off? Most people would say, of course not. But that's the same Paul who said to restore people gently. Now listen, if I said, in my attempt to try to help you and restore you, I will wound you but it will still be a good thing. Would people say amen to that unless they knew the scriptures? Only if you know the scriptures, right? You wound me, and yet you're helping me? Yeah, I don't need friends like that. <laughs> if that's what a friend does is wound me while they're helping me, no, I got enough enemies over here. But what does the scripture clearly say? Wounds from a, come on, say it. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. How many trusted me before the rebuke? 
And yet when the rebuke came, now I can't trust you because what? It wounded me. It hurt me. Pastor, I didn't think you would rebuke me like that. Pastor Paul, I didn't think you would tell me to go cut my, my foreskin off, you know, or cut my emasculate my whole thing off, rather, if I was going to cut my foreskin off. Paul, that hurt me. But what does the scripture say? If the wound is coming from somebody you trust, someone whose integrity has not changed through the disagreement, someone's life who has not changed, there's nothing hidden now you've discovered. The only thing that's changed is your behavior in the moment which has caused this situation, now you have to ask yourself, am I butt hurt or am I church hurt? How many know there's a difference? Because the wound of a true discipline stings. And it may not even be what you prefer. But if it was there out of love and you trust that person, that person is saying to you, like Paul would say to the Galatians, I'm calling you a fool because I don't want you to be a devil's fool. I'm saying to you, to, it's better to emasculate it off because I'm trying to help you understand the ultimatum, the alternative is to your destruction. I'm using as much seriousness as I can. And the reason why I'm telling you, you need to do this in such serious ways because I love you. Go to Proverbs 12, 15. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Verse 15. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Look at this scripture here. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook a insult. Oh, you insulted me. You offended me. You bothered me. Okay. But if I'm here as a person that you trust and love, can you overlook it? Even if I was a good pastor and I made a mistake, could you overlook what would be to you an insult? You should if you're prudent. Because a prudent person will say, nothing has changed in my pastor's restoration of me. Nothing has changed. And even if it came to me as an insult, I will overlook it. Why? Because I'm not going to show my annoyance. I am not going to follow the way of folly. I will listen to advice. How many of you have ever received advice from people who at times have insulted you? In the world, we do it all the time, don't we? How many have sat there being insulted by the DMV and you're like, dear God, I can only take this so much of how I didn't do this wrong and this, I didn't do this right and I did this wrong and I got to go back to that line. Okay, but I'm going to overlook it so I can get my license. How much more so with brothers and sisters who love us and are spiritually restoring us? Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is in a sin and you are in the spirit, you should restore that person gently using these tactics that I've given you, Paul is saying, understanding that even if there's an insult given during that process, you overlook it. Even if there's a wound, you trust the person. Go back to the Proverbs, please. How many know if somebody called you stupid while they're trying to help you out, you'd be quite offended? But go to Proverbs 4, uh, 12, verse 15. Well, that is Proverbs. Uh, go to Proverbs 14, 12. We don't like the word stupid in my house. We don't call anybody stupid except the devil. But how many know the Bible says that there are situations where people can be stupid? This is uh, not the proverb I was looking for. Whoever does not accept wisdom is stupid. Uh, somebody help me out with that. 12, 1. Thank you. Look at 12.1 in the same chapter that we were in before. Chapter 12, verse 1. Look at what the proverb says here. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is what? Is what? 
Say the S word like you're in church. But I thought you weren't supposed to call people stupid. Now go to Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Look at what Proverbs says. There is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to what? This is what I want to ask you going back now to Galatians. I'm going to give you one more scripture. This is not even my message for today, but I wanted to share this. Because there's at any given time, one out of 12 people that can walk in and out of your life, depending on how they're being insulted, affected, or uh, taking what you're doing for them. We experience it here in the church. Going back to Galatians, or excuse me, the, the Proverbs there, 14 verse 12. I want to ask every single person a question here. Would you rather go to a church that doesn't take the time to teach you the word of God or go to a church that teaches it that at times wounds you and insults you? See, Proverbs says it's better to be wounded and insulted at a place that you know loves you. If you question our love at any time, you can go because we're not here to try to convince you more than what we've already done. But for those of you here who are obvious, uh, can see what's obvious, that a church loves you, then you can know, obviously, that if there's a wound and a rebuke, if there is a, uh, a situation that insults you, you need to step back and say, hold on, who is this coming from and from what purpose? And here is my grand finale on this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, not only at times... Will, will people in your life insult you, wound you, but they will make you feel unpleasant. And guess who is also responsible for doing that? God. If I said to you, God's going to correct something in your life, and the way he's going to do it is he is going to make your life, your emotions unpleasant, would most of you agree that that could be God? Or the culture, let's say, you know, a lot of you are mature here. But I'm saying, if I said to somebody out on the streets, hey, do you want God to change your life? I may know most would say, yeah, I'd love God to change my life, do something good. And if I said to them, do you believe in God changing your life? He is going to make you feel bad and unpleasant. I'm not talking condemnation. I'm just saying you are going to feel uncomfortable and unpleasant. When most people think that was God. No, they would say, no way, God, I mean, God will change me, but it's always going to be uh, red roses and, and singing in the rain, a yellow brick road. How many would think that's the picture they have of God? But now look at who I believe is the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood, reminding us of Jesus in the battle of the will, not my will, but your will be done. And he sweat drops of blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement. Everybody say, I want to be encouraged. Amen. Here's the encouragement. You have forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. And here is the thing that I have seen a lot in this culture is that people have not had godly fathers. I want to be very honest with you. I thank the Lord for single moms. We've got single moms back all day long to the break of break of dawn. We are your advocates. We are your protectors. We're also your partners. We'll help serve you. We will do whatever we can to make sure single moms have healthy families and bring up their children because oftentimes it's the men's fault. Can I hear amens to that? And men, thank you for doing your part. But here's what I want to say to all the single moms and for so many here in this culture, in this church, that have not been raised by God fathers, you do not understand a father's discipline. Many have not grown up with a godly father, therefore you do not understand a father's discipline. A father disciplines different than a mother. My wife is 100% Greek, and that means at times she can be 100% crazy with the kids. 
In my wife's Greek culture, there is no such thing as yelling. It's just talking at different levels. It goes from here to here. You think it's yelling, but it's still talking in the Greek household. And many cultures can relate to that, not making excuses. I'm just saying that's how my mom, can, uh, my mom was with me and how Nancy can be with the kids. But listen, when I'm around my kids, my wife will tell you I have hardly ever raised my voice maybe more than three or four times. They can't even count it on their hand, most of them. Because when dad walks in, it stops. Because there is no long discussions with me and them. My wife will tell you that her yelling has a lot to do with the way she's communicating with them. I don't do that. When I walk in, if it's not resolved, you're in trouble, you're getting paddled, you've lost your treat. A man will do that and then go right back to what he was doing, have no, no problem at all. The woman bearing the emotions, shedding the tears. Now, there's some women in here who are like, you don't know me. I can do that too. You know, but, but listen, my wife will tell you, She'll say, I yell too much. I want them to respect me the same way they do you. And the reason why that is, is because I don't have long conversations. Fathers really don't. Oftentimes, those of us who are raised with godly fathers, if you were to think of the times you had one-on-one talks with your father about things meaningful in life, they were rare and they were special, and now you keep them as deep memories. Most people did not grow up with a father that was a chatty Cathy. Most people grew up with a godly father who talked minimal, but those times were very important. And it was generally, and these are just general statements, that it was the godly mother that would continue on in the emotional things. Now, you know, your, 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 your dad would say, now go talk to your mom. And then you and the mom would hang out. I'm just telling you, I grew up in a house just like that. I know many people did, even godly families. But why is that? Because a father is going to discipline, and he wants to see results. There, there, we don't need to keep talking about the emotions of it. Do it. Change it. If it's not done, you don't get your phone back. Where's my oldest? She lost her phone a little bit yesterday. (laughs) Come on. Why? Because in my house, I want my children, especially my teenage children, to talk to me with more respect than the server at Applebee's. When I walk downstairs into my kitchen, I want her to be smiling. Good to see you today, Dad. Welcome to the kitchen. What would you like today? What can I do for you? I'm so happy that you're here. Good to see you again. You've provided so much for us, and I will show my gratefulness by being happy when you're around. Now, my younger ones, that's just the way they are. It's always a party. Whenever Zoe sees me, whenever little Joy sees me, we're always having fun and giggling and laughing. She's just saying, don't call me up, Daddy. I'm not calling you up, but we're going to talk about how much fun we have. But my older ones, they want to answer me with with little, "Uh." how are you doing, Bethany? Uh. You're going to clean this up for me? Yeah. I said, no, we ain't doing that. Give me your phone. You're not getting your phone back. This was Saturday. Was this Saturday? Was this yesterday? Okay, telling on her. This was yesterday. I said, you're not getting your phone back until I see you like that server at Applebee's, until you're as excited to see me as you are your friends. Boy, oh, boy, after that, when she lost her phone, hey, Dad, what's going on? Want me to do these dishes? I would love to do them. Matter of fact, I'll just do them right now. Boy, her attitude changed. And then what happened? Later on, just slipped her the phone. Okay, you're doing good. I'm not saying mothers don't do that. I'm saying for as a father, that's easy. Now, notice what the Bible says. Here's the encouragement. What's the encouragement? Is y'all need to understand how the father is with us. You see, we don't see as gentle being called a fool ultimatums because a lot of us don't know what it's like to be around a man. 
Now, I can understand as much as I can, because I have four daughters and a wife, what it's like to be a woman, and motions I know are different. That's as much as I understand. You're all different. But trust me, women, when I say this, men are different too. Men have a way of talking to each other. There's a reason why men have a reputation on job sites and in businesses and things of having to step outside for a minute to solve a problem. I'm not saying it's always right, but men have a reputation like that. Generally, you'll never see a woman come to fight. Every now and then you will, but among men, you'll see it all the time. Best friends will fight each other. (laughs) Hello, men. Have you ever been there before? Let me just tell you the difference between men and women. Watch The Bachelorette, guard your eye, you know, your eyes, and watch The Bachelor. My wife and I try to watch these shows, you know, guarding our heart, you know, these people falling in love. On The Bachelorette, uh, when they're, you know, uh, they're all trying to fight for that one guy's attention, or no, what is it? Yeah, The Bachelorette, when it's the girl, when it's all the guys, it's the girl. Okay, The Bachelorette has a girl as a bachelorette, hence the name. Okay, watch this. When you watch the show The Bachelor, and all the girls are living together, at most you'll see them get a little catty. You know, at most you'll see them doing those kinds of things. They'll be getting upset with each other. You'll, you'll see the little previews where they're yelling at each other. The Bachelor or the Bachelorette, what it's, my goodness, Lord help me. It's a stupid example, but I'm going to get it out. The Bachelorette, when now the dudes are competing for the girl, you'll see guys with their shirts off this close to each other. I'm going to knock you out. The example stands. Why? Girls generally will get catty and will get upset with each other. Guys will say, it's time to fight. Let's done. We're done. God is not going to fight us in that way, but God is a masculine gender when he relates to us. He doesn't call himself mother. Can he relate to the female? Absolutely. Did he make us uh, make women a female as well? Yes. But what does the encouragement come as? As a father addresses his daughter? No, it doesn't say daughter. It says as a father addresses a son. So everyone here, when you come to relate to God addressing discipline with you, you are to take the example of what it's like when a man is talking to the other man called his son. That's how the women are supposed to understand how discipline can be between you and God. It doesn't say as a father addresses his daughters. It says, as a father addresses his son. Y'all need to understand this. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he what? Rebukes you. See, a part of a father to a son, rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he what? He loves. He chastens. He whips everyone he accepts as a son. Now, we're not talking about abuse, but I know some families where the girls did not get spanked, only the sons. And that would be part of this biblical culture. You would not hear about women getting spanked, but you would hear about men. And it's the same thing as in the Indian culture. My friend was from India, and we were talking about the differences, and he told me a story about how he had said something very minute to his father, but then he had to go outside and get a whooping. And I said, when did that happen? God is my witness. He said, last year. He was in his 20s. He was in his 20s. His dad said, I'm going to teach you a lesson Step out, and he whooped him. I know we think that's crazy in our culture, a grown father whooping a grown man, but they wouldn't do that to the daughters. A father to his son in that culture is, I'm going to show you one more time who's your father. Now, once again, I'm not uh, advocating abuse. I'm just saying there are different cultures and ways of understanding when and how it's appropriate. The Middle Eastern culture was similar to the Indian culture. A man you would be very strict with, and if the man did not listen, the father would take out the rod and whoop his son. 
That's what it was like. And the Bible says, y'all better remember this when you're dealing with God. How many think you should remember this when you're dealing with God? Now look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children, uh, for what, ch- uh, excuse me, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. Now he takes it to all sons and daughters. And you know what he calls those in the King James? Just, uh, put that passage in, 11, verse, what is it, chapter uh, 12, verse 5, and then put it in the King James there for me. He says, bastards. You see, there are a lot of bastards in the church today. There are a lot of people that are not sons and daughters of ministry. Look at what it says here. It says here in verse 8, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are... Come on, somebody say the King James like you're not cussing. Then ye are what? Bastards and not what? Sons. Going back to the NIV so you don't feel like you're cussing in church. Somehow language changes. Now we think that's cussing. That's a whole other thing. You cussed at me because you called me a bastard. No, I called you what the Bible says. See, a lot of people just don't understand the Bible. They just, I mean, come on, let's just be honest. If I said the word bastard before I read you that scripture, many of you thought I was cussing because you don't know the Bible. And I do believe that there is such a thing called cussing, by the way. The F word's not in there calling somebody a B. It's not in there. some bad words we should not be saying. But there are other words that are found in your Bible that people don't think belong there because they don't fit Oprah Winfrey and how she counseled people. See, but the Bible has a different way of understanding discipline. The Bible has another way of understanding how we restore people. Keep going. Verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we, we may share in his what? Somebody say holiness. Thank you. That we may share in his what? Holiness. Thank you. Now look at verse 11. Highlight it, please. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what? Painful. So why is it when we are restoring each other, whether it's parents with children, husbands and wives with each other having tough talks, even with our friends and coworkers, why is it we think if something hurts us, it's bad? Why is it we think that if something insults us, it's not God? Why is we think if someone calls us a name, it's not helpful? And yet the very scriptures that we're using to try to make our points, to say, well, don't call nobody a fool, or make sure you give a gentle answer, or make sure that you're slow to anger and quick to listen. Why is it we don't balance those out with all of these other scriptures that say when we're being gentle, sometimes the word fool is appropriate. Do you think, I mean, let's just be honest right now, please, because I want to know how you think about my Jesus. Because it's not me you really have an issue with. I want to know how you think about my Jesus. Somebody say my Jesus. Because he's our Jesus, right? Do you think my Jesus was not being gentle when he called people fools? I mean, is that what you're saying about my Jesus? Because you'll go to hell for that. I'm just being honest with you. Do you not think my Jesus was gentle when he was whipping people in the temple like a father does his children, getting those people out? Because you will go to hell. I'm being very honest with you. If you think you are now going to sit on Judge Judy's stand, courts in order, the defendant is Jesus, we're going to see if Jesus is guilty of being harsh to the Jews. Jesus, speak for yourself. 
How dare you call them fools? Don't you know you said a few chapters earlier, don't call anybody a fool. Courts and order, Apostle Paul, you're not gentle. You said to them that they were fools. You said if they got circumcised, they should cut off their genitalia. Paul, you named names. You made it personal. Who do you think you are? Is that where we're at as a culture today? Because I want to be very honest with you. We'll have no authority in this world to correct their behavior if we can't restore each other here in the church when we're in sin. If we are going to call into question the integrity of Jesus Christ and Paul when they taught us how to handle our issues in the church by our 21st century Nicianity, we are going to have a shock on Judgment Day. Because on Judgment Day, we will not be holding Jesus and Paul accountable to the standards that our, our culture said was nice. Now, you might think to yourself, well, does that mean we got to love abuse? Not at all. I don't see abuse anywhere here. Did you see abuse anywhere in our scriptures? The world will call it abuse, but I don't call it abuse. You know what I think? And go back to chapter 6 of Galatians. It's not in our notes, but uh, uh, put it here for me, please. Uh, chapter 6, starting in, um, it's not in our notes, brother. you got to go there. I don't have it all there. Go to chapter 6. It's going to be like somewhere around 14. Can I show you where I think Paul was being gentle, even though he was going through all of that? Go up just a little bit more for me, please. Right here in verse 11. Highlight verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Where was gentleness with Paul? Man, I hear these guys are believing they have to be circumcised to be saved. That is so foolish. They don't understand it. If they do this, they'll go to hell. Man, it would be better if they just cut them, the whole thing off. Man, I'm going to take time. Listen, listen, man. I'm going to take time. And I'm going to write him a letter. Hey, guys, starts off chapter one. Hey, guys, how you doing? I love you. I'm in Christ. I love you. I want this best thing for you. Be careful of this. Don't be foolish like this. And he ends the letter going, I'm telling you, I'm writing this with my own hand. I took time out to do this for you. And now go to his last verse. Look at his last verse. Look at what he says here. Verse 17, last two verses. He says, I'll go verse 16. Peace and mercy. To all who follow this rule, the Israel of God, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. You guys are troubling me, but don't do this. I bear in my body the marks of Christ. I'm suffering out here for Jesus. The grace, look at the last, last sentence here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. So do I tolerate abuse, physical abuse, parents to children within marriages? Not at all. We'll be right there at your doorstep helping you move out, helping you press charges. We're advocates. We're not supporting that at all, okay? So everybody hear that. But what I won't do is call abuse somebody who cares enough to tell you what the Bible says. And if your only argument back to me is, it's not pleasant, it insults me, and it wounds me, my response back isn't how bad of a leader or life group leader you had or how bad of this. No, no, my thing is, let those wounds be better than the kisses of an enemy. Let those insults be overlooked because you are prudent. And let those things that are unpleasant to you work their way out of you. Because last time I saw iron sharpening iron, it doesn't look like you're just doing it with dough or bread. Iron sharpening iron, some things get knocked off with sparks. And that brings me to my message. Somebody say, that was just extra. 
That was just extra. Because what does it say afterwards? Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. Going to our notes, chapter 6, verse 7, please. Thank you for keeping up. Doing great back there, brothers. Look at what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What, whoever sows to their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I have seen too many people give up on God because of church hurt, because of things that they go through, when most of the time it is just butthurt being disciplined. But even if it was genuine church hurt, I've seen too many people give up on God. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God's people. Listen, I grew up in church. I was a church kid just like my kids. That's why I don't feel sorry for them too much because if the worst thing my kids have to say is, my dad used to bring out my mess, at least they never saw their dad slap their mom, come home drunk, and have to move out the house because he's having an affair. Come on, somebody. If the worst thing they ever heard was their dad preaching about their business on Saturday, that's a good life for a church kid. Now they know not to have them Saturdays. Dad might bring it up in an example. Church kids, listen to me. You might have been hurt. I'll be serious now. Some things do happen in church. Sometimes abuse does happen. I had to counsel a young lady who the youth pastor hit on her. She was the pastor's daughter, and she ended up having an affair, cheating on the wife of the youth pastor as a teenager. And, of course, we believe that was also victimization. Had to help counsel her there. That the person you looked up to should have never came on to you like that. Do you understand? I take people's true hurts here serious. That happened out in another church by God's grace. Uh, but I take that stuff very, very serious, okay? But at the same time, a youth pastor, listen to me, teenagers. A youth pastor who calls your music stupid, who says your friends are leading you to hell, and says that you're in danger of all this, that makes you feel unpleasant. I thank God for that youth pastor, even though he's probably a little bit more gentler than that. But it's still gentle, isn't it? And for you adults here, trust me, I hear it all the time. From your life group leaders and from you, there's two sides to the story. Well, I brought this to the life group and they didn't want it. I thought it was a pumpkin carving night, so I brought pumpkins. But they said, we're not carving pumpkins, and I got my feelings hurt. And then they yelled at me, and we all got offended. I'm leaving the church. I hear it all the time. So the church that God saved you and baptized in redeemed your whole family over pumpkins. Now you all leaving. You would be surprised out of the last things I've heard people say they're leaving over. Pumpkins. Situations that you would look at and go, you've got to be kidding me. We were standing out on the streets warring against the devil. Now this is how we end. We separate over this. We can't overlook insults now. How can we overlook the world's insults? I stood on Bourbon Street and was there, by, by God's grace, about three or four nights. I was insulted over and over and over again. There were three Indians from India looking at my wife saying, show me your boobies. Show me your boobies. Shut up and show me your boobies. I had to step into that situation and say, get on now and leave. And yet if they would have came back, I still would have preached to them if they would have kept saying to my wife, show me your boobies. Where's my wife? See, every time. Every time. She's not here. I was going to say, was, I'm, was that not the truth? And yet in the Christian church, 
You say one thing wrong to me, I'm out. You say one thing that wounds me, I'm done. I won't receive you anymore as my leader or pastor. One thing from a brother or sister that doesn't go your way, that wounds you, I'm out. As if you're going to go to another church, another place that doesn't wound you. As if you're going to go to another place where someone sitting on that same row is not going to say something at some point that insults you. Why do we give up so easily? We give up on the body of Christ, and we give up on Christ so easy. Do you know what caused me to backslide as a teenager? Listen to my story, please, and take it as a warning. I had knew Christ as a young adult, uh, you know, a young child growing up in church. I loved Jesus. Then I got tempted as I got older, and I started doing bad things. But my friend gave his heart to Jesus right around 15, 16, and I started listening again to the youth pastor that he said was making a difference in his life. So I started going to the youth group. I had stopped going. It impacted me. It changed me. And then I became a Christian again at around 15, 16. I got baptized. I was a part of the youth group. And then a few months go by, and the youth group said, we're going to start a school club at Northrop High School. And I'm like, great, that's my, that's my school. I'm ready. Let's go start it. And he says, and we're going to pick one of you to lead it. It's between Joe. It's between you and Corey. You and Corey. And they were praying about it because you can't have two leaders. You got to have one, and the other one's got to serve the one. And he came to me, and you know what he, God, you know what he, you know what he said? I can't believe he did this. You know, God allowed him to do this. I can't believe there's a God in heaven and earth to allow so much pain to a teenager. Do you know what he said to me? Corey's going to lead it. Now, I'm being a little sarcastic, but you know what I said to him right in front of him? I said, well, I'm not going to this church then. I walked out of that church because God allowed him to pick somebody else to lead something. How petty of me. And how long did it take for the devil to get me to go back smoking weed? Not very long. I'm not saying everybody who leaves a church goes back to smoking weed, but hear my heart. I was so angry. How could you? And how many know that proved his point of why I wasn't ready? Man, you're going to leave just because I didn't pick you? Honey, were there not young Indian boys at Mardi Gras saying, show me your boobies over and over again? And I had to step in. And yet we forgive them. And yet we can't forgive Christians when they insult us. God, have mercy. Good ones who wound us in the attempt to try to restore us of our problems and our situations. God, have mercy. You mean you chose this one over me? His name was P.T., Pastor Tim. Man, how could you? No, what does the Bible say? Don't give up. Don't give up. And not only don't give up, go up just a little bit to verse 6, not only don't just give up on the family of believers, but don't give up on your instructors. What does it say? The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Will at times instructors insult? At times will instructors wound? At times will instructors make Christians feel unpleasant? Yes, have you made people feel unpleasant before, brother, as a life group leader? Teenagers in your home? Yes. Have you made your children feel unpleasant before? One of our precious deacons, I'm, I'm speaking to them. Have you ever done that? Yes. But what are we supposed to do as Christians? Not give up. Do you know that I lost more that day? I lost more that day than they did. Because when I walked out of that church, that club still happened. And it happened without me. And that reward was no longer mine. Do you know that some of my biggest regrets in life, if you were asking me right now, I could be here a whole nother service. Some of my biggest regrets in life have been breaking fellowship in relationship with people because of wounds, insults, and unpleasantness. Now my wife will tell you, 
that I don't walk away anymore. It, I mean, it would take a lot. You know, it would, ta- it would take basically saying like what that person said to my wife on Bourbon Street. Why? Because I don't want to quit on people anymore. I've seen too many people quit on me, and I've quit on too many in my past to now allow the restoration or the working through issues to break fellowship. I'm not saying I'm the perfect at it, the one that's never made a mistake, but I am saying I've learned now how to honor and to be in a fellowship. There was a time when our church was first growing, and uh, I know some of you can relate to this, where I wanted to leave more than they wanted to leave. (laughs) Because when you only have a handful and they're getting on your nerves and you're getting on their nerves, it's like, will you leave where I leave? We're, we're, let's get away from each other. This is not fun anymore because I was the young, hip pastor. I was the one playing video games after church. Can you believe it? I used to have people come to my house because we had Sunday night services as we first started the church. And then afterward, we would play video games. That's what we would do. And so we were friends. And then at some point, we offended each other, got upset with each other. And my wife will tell you this is true as well. It's like, man, you just get out. Well, you get out. Well, I'll get out. I'll leave. You leave, you know. I'm the pastor, I can't, you can't, like seriously, one time somebody said, you're the pastor, you can't leave. I'm like, yes, I can. Pastors leave all the time. You have, you have many pastors who have left. Pastors can leave the church too. Nancy's home church that she was a part of had, a, had no pastor for two years. People said, I'm done with this. I'm not coming back around here because they kept abusing the pastor until God sent them a man of God that they finally submitted to. Pastors kept going through that church so fast because the people didn't know how to treat them. And pastors would stick around a little while and say, man, I'm out of here. But you know what I began to learn? A pastor said it this way, and Vinny, would you come, please? Is that a church makes a pastor, and a pastor makes a church. Everybody get this. That when a pastor sticks with a church for more than five years, you're not, you're not able to hide as a pastor behind your preaching gift anymore. Because they've already heard all your stories. They've already heard all your conference jokes. Are you guys tracking with me? You guys know all my little stories, all my jokes. Every now and then I'll pull one out you haven't heard. But after five years, you're not coming here because of a gift, just because of a talent. After five years, the pastor begins to realize he has to care about the sheep. He has to build relationships. And it's the same thing with each one of you here today. You make the church, and the church makes you. I remember going through one situation while we were going to the new building, and I only had one key leader during this time. And every... Uh, thing we were doing needed to run through that one key leader. And like always, he volunteered. How many know volunteers have regrets sometimes? <laughs> he volunteered. He said, I got you over here. We were redoing the carpet, painting the walls. He said, I got you. Don't worry about a thing. I said, are you sure? He said, I know that you're in school. I was in school at that time. He said, I got you. This is not your gift. He watched me at this location try to build a wall in a cafe uh, for a cafe. And you know how you're supposed to take drywall and you use it with one of these things that looks like a spatula with a scraper? He watched me get to the point where I said, man, forget this. I took it with my hands, and I started doing it with the hands. Seriously, like at 2 in the morning, after I had already been ripped off by Chancho, who I took from uh, Home Depot, and he took my money and left me. You guys remember that story? I did. I picked up some people from Home Depot. They said, drop me off right here. I'll be right back with my tools. And I go, okay, but give me the money first. Here you go. He was gone, and it could have been White Gary, too. I know. Come on, please, my Latino gente. It was just Chancho that day, okay? So Chancho took my money. I'm by myself, and he comes to the church because I didn't need his help at that point because I'm like, I can build a cafe. I can do this. I can do this. So he comes to the church, and he basically sees me lathering 
drywall goop, whatever that's called, plaster, thank you, and I'm not trying to be dumb on purpose. When it comes to this, I really am that dumb. These guys who build things and make things, I'm telling you, I'm glad that we are the body of Christ. Amen? I, this is what I do well, talk. And it's not worth a lot at some points. But how many believe when it's anointed by God, he can use it, right? Those other times, just ignore, right? Okay, now watch. I'm slathering this on with my hands. He taps me and he goes, you're out. <laughs> you know, tag team, I'm in. And he fixed it. Seriously. We go to the new building. He's there with me. Why don't I have other leaders? Because they're in sin and I had to drop out of leadership. I had about four or five at this time. God is a witness. They were all in sin. I was left as a church without a, lead, a pastor, without leaders. But I had this one faithful brother. Somebody say faithful. Thank you, faithful brother. And so we walk around and I go, okay, can we do this? It's going to need carpet. It's going to need paint. It's going to need all of these things. And everything we looked at, he volunteered. And he goes, I got you. I got you, I got you, I got you. How many now know, as a man, when I hear another dude say he's got me on so many things, I'm not going to take him that serious anymore. I should have talked to his wife because his wife probably would have said, he said he got me on a lot of stuff outside and in the house, and it still hasn't happened yet. That's just that man pride coming out, Pastor. Go easy on him. But I didn't know. So I go, okay, you got me on the carpet. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be sure when the carpet people come, I'll oversee it. You got me on the paint. Yeah, most of it I could do myself, but I got you when that person comes. Somebody say, he got you. Come on, he got me. He had me as a pastor, right? Wife is a witness to this one as well. Three weeks in, code red. Pastor, I got to quit. I'm going to leave the church. Blah, blah, blah. The whole thing is falling apart on him, right? And then now what is the accusation to me? You didn't care. Hold on, bro. Hold on. Hold on. I don't care. Man, I'm the one that took you at your word. That You said you, you, said you were going to do this. You said you were going to do that. So when he didn't do all that, we had to get other people to come in and do it people who would keep their word and not quit. But you know what I found out that day? Is that he held all that in because he felt like he had to impress people instead of just being who he was for God. And so often I see overachievers quit because they get embarrassed. They can't ask for help. They don't know how to stick with it even when it gets hard because they haven't done anything that big that God is asking them. And we as Christians, we play this way like we're good at it out in the world. Like we make the world think that would never happen in a church. But yet it happens in our relationships all the time. I saw that brother not too long after that. I took him out for lunch. And you know what he was man enough at that point to do? To say it really had nothing to do with the church. Something that happened in his family. And that threw him off. And because he had put, made all these promises, he didn't feel he could let us know what was going on in the family. Devil got another leader out. Do you know how many times I've seen leaders quit like that? Good, faithful man of God. All he had to do was say, hey, man, will you come get my back? Help me out? Restore me? And even if I would have corrected him and said, hey, brother, I got you, but now it's going to be hard for all of us, how many of those would have been wounds he could have trusted? He could have said, yeah, I need that. I need, I need to be more responsible. Yeah, you got me. You know what? That was foolish. But you know what? That momentary pain of the discipline would have worked in his favor. So now fast forward. We had to come back to this church. We uh, thankfully came and it was already remodeled. But there were some brothers at that same time that said they would do it all. There were some renovations we had to do, some painting, some different things. And so this time I understood, don't take everybody at their word. Give them some grace and space. Give them double time. Give them double the help. And guess what? I changed. 
Now I related to them differently. You see, if I never would have went through that situation, I wouldn't have known how to go through the other situation. But I think about that brother and how he quit, how he never had to come back and make it right and grow. So often we quit on our life lessons instead of going through them together. Remember that time I talked about as a pastor? I was like, man, you quit. I quit. Okay, I'll go. You go. You know, we just got to get away from each other. Do you know that as I stayed, I changed? Do you know that as you stay in a marriage, you change? Children, as you stay in your house, you change? Can I give an example about that? Can I? I want to ask you a question. Seriously, can I tell you an example about children and teenagers? I dropped out of high school around 15 or 16 years old. Quit. My family quit church. I lived on my own for years. Do you know that when I went to Bible college as a 19-year-old, I was mentally a still 15-year-old? Why? Because I had quit on my family. I had quit on dedication. I had quit on those things. I had to start over again. Do you know that the first years of Christianity with my family were very difficult? Even sometimes my parents asking me to leave even as a Christian because we were getting in so many fights because I had never learned as a teenager to stop being rebellious. I had just quit on being a kid with my parents. I'll move out on my own then. You see, the Bible says don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. You will reap whatever you sow. If you are the kind of person that's easily offended, cannot overlook insults, cannot grow in relationship with others, cannot share with your instructor the good things that you're getting. And the last verse of our passage today, brother, please, uh, can you show it? And if you don't stay with the, the family of believers, you're going to lose out. You will lose more than we lose because we're staying together. I think about Sue Ellen and Jared, that couple we sent off to Dallas. When they first started coming to the church, I remember at different points, they were getting tempted by their friends to leave the church. One of them, Jared, had a friend that went to another church and said, man, Metro Praise is too intense. They make you guys always go evangelizing, which we really didn't make them, but that's how it appeared to them. Uh, you, they make you go evangelizing. You guys stand on street corners. Man, just come on over to this church. Come on over here. And I wish I could name that gentleman's name. But you know what? No offense to selling used cars, but he's still selling used cars. Jared's now a pastor planting a church. That young man, that young man who thought he knew what ministry was about, who tried to pull Jared out of the church for the sake of compassion and gentleness, would have cost Jared growing to be who he was. There was another time with Susie, who is now his wife, that is now planting that same church. Susie was a part of a group of friends that came to the church, and they were a little bit sassy. Somebody say sassy. I know it's hard to believe that women can be sassy in church, you know, even in church, but they were some sassy women. And one time, guess what I did? I was so rude and disgusting. You know what I did? I asked one of them to get prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was a Bible study of about 12 people, the lesson was on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then in the lesson, because there's only 12 of us, imagine 12, I said, so-and-so, can I pray for you now to receive it? Pastor called me up in front of everybody. Who does that? It was so embarrassing. He was expecting me to pray in tongues. And if you guys know me, I've been pretty much the same over these years. Here was my prayer. Lord, fill her with the Holy Ghost and fire. 
That was pretty much it. And it wasn't like I was taking her lips. Now speak in tongues. Shaba, Shaba, Shondai. I should have bought a Hyundai. No, I literally just put my hands on her and said, Lord, we learned about this in Bible class. Would you help her to do it? Oh, but that set her off. She called up Sue Ellen. She called up everybody and said, I, I've never been to a church like that. Expecting me to speak in tongues to pray for me in front of everybody. And one by one by one, they started to go. Remember, the Judas principle. I'm not saying everybody's a Judas who leaves, but I just live by that principle. There's always at least that certain group. At any given moment, any offense, any wound, any discomfort, I am gone, Jack, and I'm trying to get as many as I can with me. And here we are all around Sue Ellen. We're all around Sue Ellen like, Sue Ellen, Sue Ellen. You can do this, Sue Ellen. You can. You got saved here. God, remember, like I'm, I'm like literally telling her Old Testament. God did something great in your life here. Don't give up. Trust me. You're going to go down the road to this church, to that church. You're not going to find a better church. You got to stick where God has called you. No one's changed. No one's hurt you. No one's touched you in naughty places. Well, just stick it through. But these are my friends, and I don't know. Tears coming down her eyes. She stuck with it, became one of the most faithful, faithful, faithful sisters you will ever meet. And now she's in Dallas, and we're already hearing about people in Dallas. You won't believe what Sue Ellen said to me. You won't believe it. And I'm just like, Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Whatever Sue Ellen said to you, I trust, I honor. Unless Sue Ellen went off the deep end and started a Dateline special, and we got to be careful about how many pastors can go crazy too, right? But unless, like, did she hurt you? Did she threaten to hurt you? Did she teach you the Mormon doctrine of plurality of gods? No, no, no. She just said this, this, and this, and I didn't like it. You have a great pastor because Sue Ellen cares for you. And it goes through the next season to the next season. Each one of you here today, don't give up and doing good. Last example in closing. You've seen it before in memes. The guy digging for the gold. One quits and the other one keeps going and he strikes gold. And the difference was what? Just a few inches, a few feet. Remember those times I talked about quitting on the church? I had the two elders in the church, and I said, I'm going to roll out. You guys take it. I think I'm good. They go, no, 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 we're not doing it like that. You know, you know what happened the very next few weeks? Bible college calls me up and says, hey, we're looking for churches to host our Bible college. We hear there's good things going on in Chicago. Would you do it? That was the beginning of SU and Bible College. Your pastors, like Susie and Jared and Berto and Lauren, went to that Bible College. If I would have quit, I would have missed the Bible College and raising up new pastors to help me pastor people. I was this close to, to, to losing it all. I would have gone to that next church and I would have probably got to that same point and quit there and I would have wondered why are people just so terrible and God is saying no it's not the people people are people it's just that you're not willing to stick with them to see what I'm going to do with those people in the steeple you can't quit on them because he didn't quit on them amen and so I think about each one of these scenarios I said about that young man with Jared, you know, he's still selling used cars. I mean, it's a great job, good for him. But he had a call of God to be in ministry like Jared. Jared is now planting a Bible, uh, uh, Jared is now helping us with the Bible college, planting a church. 
what would have happened if he would have quit? I look at others. Did you know that we had to record the worship album twice? Twice. Why? Because those who sang it the first time didn't mean it when it came down to the things that happened in our church. We love Jesus until COVID happens. We love Jesus until there's riots out in front. And so I had a choice to make. Release an album for you guys with a worship team you don't know or to ask this brother to redo it. And guess what? We got double for our trouble because Desi and this brother and the others are a hundred times better. No offense to the other ones, but it's going to be released in the next few weeks, if not month, and it's going to bless your heart so much. And guess what? The ones singing the songs actually meant it. Some of you right now are inches away from your breakthrough. Highlight it right here. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. I don't know how many more times to repeat it. God won't give me more examples, but I need you to catch it today. Don't give up on your children. My mother prayed me in until I was giving my heart to Jesus at her kitchen table. Don't give up on your marriage. God's not done with it yet. Don't give up on your family. God's not done with it yet. And I believe you'll see it happen as you continue in your faithfulness. I would never dream that I would see as much as I see now in the church, but I've had to say goodbye to some people because they didn't want to keep that journey going. And now that's between them and God. The gift of goodbye works both ways, doesn't it? But you stick with what God has for you, and I believe you'll have a testimony just like this. You'll say something similar to this. You'll say, you know, there were times in the church I felt like quitting, but God did something great in my life, and now I see these disciples. Same thing with the young people. Oh, there was a time that I felt like quitting on the youth group, but just when I thought it was gonna, I was going to quit, a visitor came. Now I started becoming her or friend or his friend. Now they're loving Jesus. We're becoming best friends, and we're helping each other. You will see God do great works in your life if you don't give up. Amen. If you believe it, can you stand up with me? Can you bless the Lord? Amen. Thus says the Lord. Hallelujah. Abandoned altar workers, would you come please? Lord, help us to not quit when things get hard. To not give up, oh God, when we're insulted, offended, or when things don't go our way. But oh Lord, may we continue to sow in the Spirit until we reap that harvest. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to sow a seed of the gospel for you to reap salvation. Jesus died on the cross for you. He bled for you so you could be born again. Right now, if that's you, if you haven't done it or or need to rededicate your life, say, Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. Just like we prayed during communion. Do it now. For the rest of us, are there any areas of your life that you're close to quitting in? Even as I went to Bible college to get my doctorate, do you know how many times I wanted to quit? Don't give up. The professors would insult me. They would disgrace me, disgrace the gospel I preach. Or some of them, I wonder if they were even saved. And I talked to my wife. I don't know about this. But she would say, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Now, because I have a doctorate, I'm qualified to start a Bible college. Do you see what God's doing? Come on. Some of you are inches away from your breakthrough. I don't say that lightly today. I say that thus says the Lord. How do you know your breakthrough's coming? When you feel tired and weary. Because at those moments, you know you're getting close to the end. Don't give up. God's got something greater for you. A few more moments, and then we'll dismiss. But I would like to have private prayer. I mean, you can shout and jump in your private prayer. But before we pray for you, I want you to look at your heart, look at your life. Don't give up. Some of you are single. 
and you're going through different relationships and they're not working out and you're wondering, will there be somebody for me? Yes, there will be. There'll be somebody who wants to be just as on fire as you. There'll be somebody who wants to love God just as much as you. I know you may have people leaving you now because of those stances, but it's good that they leave. You're going to reap the harvest of a godly marriage. Don't lower your standard. A few more moments right now. Look at your life. Look at your career. You can apply this to your job. Sometimes you're working with people you don't like. And I've met so many people that are quick to want to quit. And they're going to cost you your career. They're going to cost you an awesome job you went to school for or worked hard for. Don't let those co-workers discourage you. Overlook it and remain there as long as God told you to remain there. You're a blessing to that business. You're a blessing there. A few more moments right now. God, keep us from being easy quitters and those who throw up our hands and give up easy. Help us to be those who stick it out, who build what you called us to build. And lastly, right now, if you're in sin and you're one of that 12 that's either having issues with your own personal life or with people in the church and you're not dealing with it right, the Bible says how to deal with it. Get your heart right right now. Ask the Lord to forgive you, to overlook, to look at the wound as something that could work for your benefit, to have iron sharpen iron. Otherwise, you'll just have yes people around you. You'll just have people who always tell you what you want to hear. Get around people who tell you what you don't want to hear. I remember when I was thinking about quitting Bible college, I knew the right people to call because they weren't going to tell me what I wanted to hear. And after I told everything, all my tears, all my upsetness to Brother Anthony, my mentor, he said, still stick it out. He said, I agree, all that's bad, but still stick it out. You don't leave. You need that. That's for you to stick it out. You'll get blessed out of it. Don't let people discourage you right now to walk away from where you're growing, from where you're being challenged. A few moments right now, I'm telling you, I know people that I could call at any time, and they'll tell me what I want to hear. Oh, yeah, you want to quit Bible college? Yeah, I, I quit this thing. I know how it is. Man, they don't do you right. They don't do me right. I've learned not to call those people because that's just a yes, man. They're just telling me what I want to hear. I call those who tell me the truth. I remember Brother Anthony about the Bible college. He said, well, did God call you? I thought God called you there. Did God change his mind? Did they start teaching false doctrine? Then God already knew what you were going to go through. Endure it as discipline. Endure it as discipline. A few moments right now will change your life. Lord, help us to see your discipline, even though sometimes it's unpleasant. Help us, Lord, to sometimes see good friends, even though they wound us. Help us to overlook insults from people that may know or not know what they do. We forgive them ahead of time for the sake of what we are called to do. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for this church today. I pray that those here that have committed to growing here will grow in their life groups, will grow in their children's ministries that they serve in, the youth ministries, the evangelism. Saints, we have over 20 ministries in this church. They're going to be meeting today. All the leaders, it's the first of the month. They're, they're waiting for me to stop, trust me. But listen, can you just pray with me for them right now that all these leaders will be encouraged? They're opening up their homes. Some of you leaders who have been waiting in the lobby, come on up here. Let me start praying for some of you. It would be good for me to do that before we close out this service. I pray for the salts who open up their homes so that the suburbs can have a Bible study. They faithfully do it. Lord, I thank you for the vivids that open up their homes. I thank you for Rosa and her home Bible study, as well as the others. Lord, I thank you for the youth Bible studies. I thank you for the workers who volunteer on Wednesdays to take care of children, to do Bible stories with them and lessons. 
Come on up here, all of you leaders that are waiting for this service to be over. I want you to come to the front. Let them see me pray for you. And those at the altars, would you turn and face me? I want people to know how much we appreciate you. Each one of these are leaders doing different ministries. Lord, I thank you today for TJ and all that he's doing. I thank you for the ministry of evangelism. I thank you, oh God, for Jocelyn and all that she gives to the youth. I thank